Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Beth Richards is one powerful female force. The designer has a long list of accomplishments, cutting her teeth at brands like Roots, Aritzia, John Fluvog, and Kitten Ace before launching her namesake swimmer label in 2011. She grew up just outside of Toronto, inspired by skate, street, music, and rave culture throughout her teenage years. Honest and always unapologetically herself, Beth has carved a path all her own in the fashion world. In this conversation, we explore what it's like to be a female voice in a very male world, her ethical, sustainable, and fair-wage approach to design, what she'd tell her teenage self, and more. Please enjoy this candid conversation with the very self-assured Beth Richards. Beth Richards, welcome to The Craft. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to see your face. As we were saying, just in our little pre-chat, it's been a minute. It's been since October. I think the end of October. Yeah, nice to see your smile. Um, I always like to think back to when I met my guest, and I couldn't really pinpoint the one moment where we met. Uh, We have a lot of mutual friends, Christina Culver, who's been a guest on the podcast, Melania, who's coming up. But I do, yeah, I do remember that you had a beautiful Beth Richards pop-up shop at the Fairmont Pacific. And you were in the shop that day. And I think that was the first time we ever had our first sort of longer conversation other than a high at, you know, some sort of event. So that's where I'm pinpointing. Yeah. Again, yeah, we do have a ridiculous amount of mutual friends. So I do remember when we met, it was like, how have we not met? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Um, almost crazy. Yeah. But yeah, the Fairmont was a really fun event to do. And um yeah, that was amazing to sort of pull together in the middle of a hotel mm-hmm. um, with this cool pop-up. And uh, yeah, I think Justin Bieber actually ended up coming by and my associate didn't know that it was Justin Bieber. How hilarious that, is that? That is um, funny. The one girl in the world who doesn't know, which actually kind of makes it cooler in the end that she was like, I don't know, this weird young guy came in with like bad acne and tattoos um, <laughs> and bought towels. But he was, she was like, he was wearing a ridiculous amount of blank. And I was like, um, dude, I'm pretty sure that was Justin Bieber. Anyway, <laughs> weird name droppy, like to start. There yeah, we go. And why not? Why not? So <laughs> tell me a little bit about growing up. You grew up in Toronto? I did. Yeah, I grew up east of Toronto um, in Pickering. Mm. What were your parents like? Oh, my parents are awesome. This is a big part of the reason why I moved back home, actually. My dad worked in sporting goods, um, so he's definitely sort of like the marketing and sales guy. Um, My mom was a nurse, but she was much more than a nurse. She actually worked in research in the end of her sort of uh, career, her medical career. So yeah, she's been um, published in the uh, New England, uh, I can't remember, the medical journal. Are you very close to them? I am. Yeah. Mm. And what were you like? What were you like as a child Mm -hmm. and teenager? Um, 
I mean, super rebellious teenager, we can get to that, but I was a really bubbly child, my parents would tell you, you know, I was very curious and happy and, you know, just, um, yeah, I had a very good childhood, no complaints there at all. But yeah, the teenage years got a little bit more colorful um, and interesting. You know, I didn't have the easiest high school life, that's for sure. Um, experienced some bullying, just never really felt like I fit in until, you know, I met, uh, until I started raving actually and sort of found my, you know, what I sort of felt were my group through music and fashion. Um, and yeah, just sort of, it all kind of starts from there. I feel like my foray into the fashion world for sure. Mm-hmm. And what did that look like before I into the fashion world? Were you working in retail or were you starting to, I mean, did you design things in your room? Yeah, all of the above. So yeah, I, I did some retail work. Um, I was really lucky in high school to have a fashion design program. So I did that in grade nine, actually. I had given up a, a scholarship to go and dance sort of semi-professionally uh, away from school. I just realized around then that it wasn't my passion. And so I wanted to sort of have this regular high school life. And uh, I needed an elective class. And I was sitting in the, you know, in the guidance counselor's office and, you know, I was flipping through the pages of this book and they asked me, you know, pick one of these, pick one of these election uh, elective courses and um, go from there. And I saw this grade 10 clothing. And from there, I just, you know, had this aha moment. The first day I walked into that class, it was just everything I had felt like I'd been missing. And um, from there, yeah, I started working with a lot of commercial patterns. I was, lucky enough to get a sewing machine for Christmas and would sew in my bedroom a lot first like sort of reworking vintage things and you know then as I started partying making outfits to go to raves and things and um, you know ex- experimenting with my style and you know the rest mm. of it. Yeah I know that you're really influenced by the skateboard culture and a, and a bunch of things. Like even today in your in your designs. Yeah, I mean, we were always sort of the anti-anti, right? Like I was not popular by any stretch. And so it was, you know, the goths, all the kids smoking cigarettes, skaters, you know, just kids doing drugs and hanging out that were, you know, a, like away from the jocks and the and the um popular girls. Mm-hmm. So from there, it's just like our sort of anti-everyone, you know, it was just really sort of a coming together and, you know, also a lot of, you know, amazing music happening at that time and not really feeling understood by our parents. You know, I grew up in the 90s and Kurt Cobain and, you know, like just all of this amazing music, Lollapalooza. It was very much a melting pot, right? There weren't all of these, there were sort of the groups, but everyone wasn't really defined so much by what they sort of listened to. And, you know, so all of those things was, you know, were big influences in my life. Riot Girl, obviously, you know, Kim Gordon, mm-hmm. um, and what those 
women sort of really started to come into the forefront and have their own voices and you know through that ex-girl and just being then obsessed with like Chloe Sevigny and you know in being introduced to Sofia Coppola and um, you know just all of these sort of like cool New York girls and this you know um, all these like amazing sort of things coming together and just being like in watching fashion television and just being really influenced and obsessed by it. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of stuff that's against the grain, slightly rebellious. It felt like that at the time, for sure. You know, you look back now and it maybe doesn't seem as groundbreaking, but certainly, you know, when you think back to Mark Jacobs' debut collection for Perry Ellis, it was, it really was, you know, that no one had seen anything like this before. Um, and then the explosion of hip hop culture. So, you know, I was hugely, as, you know, a junglist, I was hugely into hip hop culture, you know, polo, low life, all of, you know, Helly Hansen, all of these, you know, sort of oversized fits that you're seeing in, you know, Wu-Tang music videos and sort of emulating and, you know, because all of these, mu- all this music sort of being sampled and, you know, just again, bringing all of these sort of cultures and mashing them into to one. It was still really new at the time, you know, it was a sort of birth of that style of rap. And uh, I feel really fortunate to have been able to have experienced it. Yeah, for sure. You know, the one thing I love and admire about you is that you're a very frank and honest person. I feel like you tell it like it is. You're unapologetic <laughs> about it. I feel like it's a rare quality in a world where people don't always like to be a lightning rod. I'm curious where this trait comes from. Um, It's almost to a fault, obviously. So these things have gotten me into trouble as much as you appreciate them. Um, You know what? I don't know. I just have always spoken my mind. Uh, I'm Scorpio. It's this weird thing that like I've, you know, Scorpio's, tend to actually want to be liked, but then I have this sort of polarizing personality. Um, And I know that about myself. Uh, It's part of the reason why I work for myself, Um, but I kind of wouldn't have it any other way. So yeah, I guess I just don't really know what it's like to be edited. It's difficult. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah. I read somewhere that you always return to the book Catcher in the Rye because you love the protagonist Holden Caulfield's honest cynicism. I really do, you know, it's just like, and again, going back to just how groundbreaking that book was, you know, for someone to back then just sort of, you know, say like, you know, fuck school, like, you know, fuck this, like just all of the, you know, these structures in place that, you know, I'm supposed to adhere to, um, you know, and even the writing and the language of the book, uh, just for the seventies, you know, or actually you know what? That's terrible. I think it actually came out in the fifties, right? I don't mm-hmm. know. I'll look back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just think about that time and how shocking that must have been. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I do love that book. So you have a pretty astounding list of brands that you've worked at and or designed for. Um, Roots as an accessories buyer, Aritzia as design manager for accessories, Segoy, Gentle Fawn, John Fluvog, Kitten Ace really amazing. How did these big brand experiences shape you? Um, I certainly learned a lot through a lot of those experiences. Um, You know, 
one of the biggest takeaways I feel like was I learned what I didn't want. And it was really, um, you know, to sort of work in that type of structure. It's not that I, you know, can't get along with others. I certainly feel like I do love collaboration, but it was just really difficult to make maybe the change or have as much of an impact as I wanted working in sort of a big corporate structure like that. Mm. Um, a lot of when it comes to design is very uh, incestuous or, you know, laggard, if you will, whereas I was really looking to innovate where I could. Mm -hmm. That was more of a challenge than you'd think. Right. Yeah. Did you feel, did you ever feel like in, in these, you know, in perhaps just calling it a, a corporate structure that female voices weren't as heard? Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, I've been labeled a bitch most of my life. Um, and it absolutely has to do with like, you know, the fact that I, I so freely will speak my mind and stand up for myself. And generally speaking, you know, men in power in the room, that makes them feel incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. And how did you try to navigate it for all those years? I mean, the best I could, which was, you know, not as great as I, I would have hoped. Certainly, you know, felt marginalized in a lot of the positions I'd had. A lot of microaggressions thrown my way, for sure. I've been insulted you know, called all kinds of names, demoted, you know, or just taken off projects. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to sort of see what's happening. Um, you know, it was so famously called out for being insecure um, by one of those, you know, bosses. And, mm -hmm. you know, only for me, to it's like people have called me a lot of things over the course of my life. And I can assure you, being, you know, insecure is not sort of one of them. Um, we all have insecurities. We all have things that we don't feel comfortable with. But me and my work is actually one of the areas that I've always felt pretty secure and comfortable in speaking my voice. So mm -hmm. in all honesty, I do thank that whole cast of characters because I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you if things had gone the other way. So I'm very thankful that I was met with so much adversity because it pushed me to go out onto my own and realize that, you know, you, there is a different way of working. You can, you know, make your own rules, make your own money, be independent. And, mm -hmm. you know, my independence is the thing I value most in life. Mm. And, you know, we were talking about how, how frank and honest you are, which is definitely more an East Coast trait. Uh, but in 2008, you moved to Vancouver. What prompted the move out here? Um, at the time, yeah, my I got a job out there. My partner had got a job as well. Um, so both moved in hopes, to be honest, to just check it out and try something new. Um, you know, I moved out to a large West Coast company I'm sure most people are familiar with. And I took on, um, you know, quite a big, job at the time I was very excited um I just had this weird gravitational pull that when this opportunity came up and I really you know 
I would always say that, you know, my instincts in the universe would have always guided me. Mm. Um, but I just had this feeling that I had to go. Something was there for me. I just wasn't totally clear on what that was. Mm. I, I, I'll come to learn that it was my future partner and uh, an amazing brand that would be conceived by that move because I would have never, ever even dreamt of making swimwear in Toronto just because beach culture is just not um it's not a thing (laughs) right as prominent for sure yeah yeah oh that's right because you did move to Vancouver with someone but didn't end up being who it is now Tito yeah yeah (laughs) um in 2011 you launched Beth Richards because you noticed that there was a gap in the market for quality fashionable swimwear Tell me about the moment you knew you had to do this. Um, it came a little bit earlier than that. There was the moment when, you know, I was just really desperately looking for swimsuits to wear to third beat. You know, here, here I am. I was a fashion person in Vancouver and was like, oh, okay. So like, this is a legitimate piece of my wardrobe. So now what? you know, it was a time of American apparel. So, okay, cool, cool. I'm like an extra large American apparel because everything was like made for teenagers or like my breasts will fall out or whatnot. Okay, so limited options there. Uh, H&M, you know, made by children. Okay, cool, $12, got it. You know, Holt Renfrew at the time was only carrying like Burberry checkered, uh, like the Burberry plaid print one pieces. Um, you know, and like a handful of maybe some Stella, you know, pieces, but really that was it and value village. So I would, you know, end up basically buying most of my suits sort of vintage at the time because there really wasn't a ton of options. Now that said, I do feel like maybe I didn't know as much as obviously I know now, but, and that naivete, I think was like really good for me to, you know, have gone you know into swim in the first place but yeah I just felt that okay clearly I can't be the only woman you know at the time in my you know 30s looking for just like a really nice black swimsuit to wear that's just like not gonna break down and like a good quality so I was like you know what I just and at the time I was really looking for a pivot out of my current job you had mentioned sort of accessories that wasn't, you know, by design. I went to fashion school like the rest of everyone else. I started making soft goods and then it just sort of snowballed and everyone thought, oh, you know, you're the accessory person. It's like, I really desperately wanted to get back into fashion and felt like I'd been really typecasted into this specific role. Um, so this was also an opportunity to show that like I could, you know, make something other than like a bag and a belt and a sock uh, and like a knit hat. So, you know, all of those things came together and I thought, you know, let me just sort of prototype some of this and, you know, see sort of where it goes. It was definitely a hobby. I wasn't really thinking of it as this, you know, big thing at first anyway. Um, You know, and I had sort of a safety net of another job at the time which you know there's value in like don't quit your day job for sure Mm -hmm. and you know just as I so I actually 
you know, it took probably over a year to really develop everything through. At first I started, you know, sourcing factories in Italy. I really wanted to, you know, have this, you know, high-end feel. We ended up doing obviously the fabrics from Italy, but, you know, Europe takes quite a long time to develop things. Um, and then I really started to focus around, you know, making things in Canada and seeing the value there and just, you know, also working hands-on with the factory. Um, and so it started wanting this basic swimsuit for women. And then it became just this almost call to action, this thing that I needed to do as a feminist, as a woman, um, wanting to find something for us outside of the male gaze that women, you know, at the time, a lot of my friends were starting to start families, you know, everyone sort of had their own story as to what they needed and why, you know, women were just looking for something to feel comfortable in to chase babies or possibly just had a C-section and, you know, not wanting to expose, you know, scars or just wanting to feel good about themselves in something that, you know, loved them as much, you know, considering sort of the options at the time. So thinking of all those things, you know, together, just, it really, it made sense that I sort of cast all this project through. Mm -hmm. And local manufacturing is really important to you making sure everything's made in Canada. It is. I mean, I, so the ethics around the brand is, you know, non, it's not a non-exploitive brand, full stop. And to be non-exploitive, it means you cannot be making, you know, product on the backs of someone else. We know why Jeff Bezos is a gazillionaire, right? Because he, he profits off of others, um, as do most factories in Asia. Uh, I still, you know, have my issues with people that tout sustainability while making things, you know, for pennies, cents on the dollar. Um, yeah, you can you can use all the recycled, you know, yarns you want, but that's not going to take away from the human rights issues that there are in low skilled or sorry, low paying skilled, you know, work. And so I really felt, you know, there's, there's that aspect, especially the fact that a lot of women are the ones that are most exploited in developing nations when it comes to manufacturing. Look what's happening in India right now. It's like absolutely abhorrent. Um, I urge people to watch the true cost if you haven't, so you can really see a lot of the times, you know, it's just, it's greed that is really, you know, the, the biggest problem. There's enough food and there's enough of shelter on the planet for everyone. It's just not distributed properly. Um, and people need to, to pay back. It's just everyone, you know, these big companies are, Putting profits over people, they want those margins at the, the, the sake or you know safety of somebody else, and I'm unwilling to do that. And you know, it comes with its own costs. Certainly, I have not been able to do probably a lot of the things I've wanted to do with the brand because I just don't have that extra room. But making things in Canada was important. I wanted to keep 
to manufacturing at home, not only so that I had a little bit more control in oversight, but to reduce our common carbon footprint to almost nil, if not nil. Um, and to also really put Canada on the world stage when it comes to manufacturing. Um, people don't really see us as being anything outside of lifestyle. So I thought this was a real opportunity to show the world that we can be fashion players too. I know swim still gets, you know, sort of a bad rap and people don't think of it as seriously as they maybe be ready to wear. But I wanted to bring, you know, sort of a level of seriousness to the commodity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I really felt strongly about moving Canada and still do. Yeah. Do you think the industry is making enough changes in and around this or if there is a shift in the mindset of, um, yeah, like the sustainability aspect of things, um, making sure that we're kinder to the planet and how we make clothing? Yeah, we uh, certainly people care more about the planet. I just don't think they care enough about people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's just because it's a little bit of that NIMBY, it's because things, you know, people aren't directly affected or maybe they don't see it. Um, you know, I think there's a bit of a disconnect, but, you know, people want, and I understand, it's, I understand it's, it's difficult, right? Because it's expensive. Um, and so, so, you know, there really should be an honest cost to what people are buying. I think if they knew, or if they were maybe aware, they might, I think a lot of people would pay a little bit extra to know that you know things were made properly like there needs to maybe be some regulation maybe like how you buy organic meats versus mm. like um perhaps that's something that you know is coming but i do feel that i hope anyway that things are changing that we are starting to look at our fellow man and, you know, and, and human and see that, you know, the West is not just, you know, sort of better than the East, but, you know, there needs to be some sort of wealth sharing there. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying on, on like putting yourself in the shoes of others. I mean, this whole last year was, you know, with what has been going on with the pandemic has kind of leveled the playing field in that, in that way where everyone's sort of experiencing this really hard thing altogether. Um, and well, I know that, go ahead. Hasn't. Sorry. Yeah, it has, it has and it hasn't because mm. it's, it's just actually made the wealth gap that much worse. And mm. especially for women, you know, women had been, you know, forced to go back home and do all the caregiving, do all the unpaid work. And we'll now have to go back to a battered workforce, probably making less than they were before. So I think a lot of us thought, oh, the pandemic is sort of like the great equalizer. Well, actually, no, the top 1% ended up, you know, stealing their way to, you know, even more wealth than the rest of us. And frankly, I mean, I know I'm sick of it. I just, I, I hope that the movement continues to hold these big companies accountable because yeah, it's just, it's, it's robbery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Well, I did read that Biden was increasing corporate taxes for big corporations in the States, or he's proposing that. So I mean, fuck, I pay taxes. I love to pay no taxes. Of course, wouldn't we all love to pay? But I actually, this is the thing. I actually wouldn't. Uh, let me clarify. I don't, I would like to pay taxes because that's the right thing to do. You pay taxes, you help your fellow man. That's what you do in a community. And to me, again, it's just like, this is, this is the patriarchy at work. We understand why all of this is what it is. White men have been making the rules. White men have been setting the rules. And, you know, it's, it's exactly, this is all by design. Um, and the only, and the reason why it's all set up is, is because again, they're the ones that benefit the most. So now after hundreds of years, they're like, oh, you know, they don't, they don't want to give away their grip. That's why you're seeing this, you know, this craziness go on. But yeah, everyone needs to pay their part. Um, nobody needs trillions of dollars. No one needs that. You don't need that. Um, and so to me, it's just, it's shocking that people look at wealthy, you know, billionaires, people that have been just born into money, nepotism is everywhere, you know, and think that these people are, you know, amazing. I don't get it. Hmm. I want to take it back to you and the last 14 months of, of your business and having to make the shifts. What did you learn and what did you learn about yourself? Um, you know, probably that I was more resilient than I thought. Uh, it was really difficult. It's still difficult. 2021 will probably be the hardest on the books that I've experienced so far because at least um, 2020 still had you know, those orders from the pre-pandemic. Um, as someone who does the majority of wholesale, yeah, I watched, I watched 80% of my business evaporate overnight. That, that was a lot of business um, and a lot to stomach. Again, you know, it's swim, it's connected to travel and leisure, all of these things that were directly affected by the pandemic. Um, I made the decision to not make sweatsuits, to not make more stuff. I didn't want to just add things to the earth that didn't mean something. And I've always felt that way when it comes to sort of, um, you know, when brands coffee, it's just always floors me. If you're going to take the time to create something, just why don't you just create something mm -hmm. um, new and interesting rather than sort of regurgitating. Um, so I felt that way with the brand too. You know, if I pivot, it needs to feel right. It needs to be meaningful to the brand. So, you know, I sort of made a decision that I wasn't just going to start making new categories for the sake of making it. Not only, you know, were resources limited because they were certainly during that time, you know, um, looking into sourcing something new is also huge you know, expense. At first I was reluctant to make masks because I wasn't sure if, you know, that was something, you know, we should be doing at, at the time. I felt like everyone was making them, but certainly, you know, wanted everyone to stay employed as much as possible. So we, you know, made some custom masks for a few companies. Um, so that worked really well. 
Uh, we made some for, uh, you know, a women's, an amazing uh, nonprofit actually in Vancouver. And so that was really great to just sort of keep um, things going and just stay afloat. Um, but yeah, we did this collaboration with Lupa that was born in the last 14 months, but it was really challenging. I have to say like, just personally, just, you know, feeling really dark and hopeless um, and just where things were gonna, you know, emerge from, especially for me having been in business for as long as I had been just about to past this 10 year milestone. Congratulations, yeah. by the way, that's huge. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it felt like it was a lot of work to get here and to feel as though that could be sort of, you know, just sort of snuffed out overnight was devastating. Um, you know, and again, I know these are you know first world problems for sure, but that doesn't take away the fact that I'd put everything into this brand and into what, into my work. So yeah, it was, it was a challenge, um, but somehow got through it and, you know, still, still getting through it, um, you know, daily. It's, it's not easy. I have a lot of support, you know, from friends and family. And certainly I feel they're the ones that that helped me get through it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what do you do for yourself to make sure that you're, you know, taking care of yourself during this time? Yeah. Um, I sleep. I try and get always like a good night's sleep. Um, I have a really cute dog that I love to walk. She's not she caring. is very cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got a Peloton during the pandemic, so that has helped you know, sort of mm -hmm. been through it. Is um, it on your patio? No, it's in the hallway. Oh. <laughs> which I know it's, yeah, it's funny. It's in the hallway, but the lights can, you know, makes it kind of feel like you're in a studio that way. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, your place is beautiful, so. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, you know what? We still saw friends. We made sure to sort of keep things as normal as possible. We just got really into food and cooking and, mm -hmm. um, you know, just, yeah, I can't even tell you, like, what do I do to take care of myself? I, because we've been in this continual lockdown, I'm just like, I have to even think about that. Like, what do we even do? Yeah. Um, it's definitely a little heavier for you guys out there on the East coast. Yeah. Uh, we had like a great summer, it feels like, and then it's just sort of been lockdown. So it's been like a lot of at home time. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I try and connect with friends and family for sure. I am not above, obviously, you know, a therapy appointment here or there, try and read as much as I can. But, um, throughout the pandemic, for sure, I was having difficulty, you know, reading a book. Um, even I just couldn't concentrate like mm -hmm. that. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. No, no, you answered it for sure. I wanted to say congratulations on your latest collaboration as well with um, Indian designer Rupa Pamaraju. I hope I said that right. I hope I did that justice. And you have some very similar alignment in how you look at your approach to ethics and manufacturing and making sure that people are paid a, a fair wage. And then I also read that the textiles are digitally printed. 
to eliminate the use of dyes? Like the, the colors are gorgeous. You know, we almost skipped a season with wholesale. It, everything shut down. Basically, no one really wanted any new product, but, you know, certainly a handful of retailers could not deny just sort of how beautiful and just how special this collab was. So, um, yeah, it was really amazing coming together. And, you know, one of my retailers, Free People, actually sold out one of the suits in a week. Amazing. So, yeah, working on a reorder for them right now, which is amazing. But um, where do just people to- find it if they wanted to, like, obviously well, online at BethRichards.com? My website, her website, mm-hmm. um, Free People. We have another retailer in the UAE, Dixie, that's carrying it. Um, I think there'll be more retailers added come the fall. Um, and we'll, we're actually working on some new prints and yeah. now. Um, so looking forward to that. But yeah, so far the response has been incredible. And just seeing my suits in a completely different way. Yes. Um, I couldn't have imagined sort of seeing them like that. Mm-hmm. Then, like I would have never been able to come up with this prints on my own. So really nice to, you know, it really did feel like a, a true collaboration. Mm, that's wonderful. Yes, they're they're beautiful. So everyone, go check them out. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I just have I, I know I'm mindful of the time because I know you have somewhere to to be. So just a couple more questions for you. Of course. Oh, actually, I just thought of one right now. When you saw your your swimsuits in Vogue, how did mm-hmm. that feel for you? Amazing. I mean, it was, it just felt like, you know, I'd been validated, mm. especially, you know, having a lot of years of sort of abuse almost, you know, where you just feel like you just can never get the praise that you're looking for. Mm. And I think it was Amber Valletta that that wore it, right? Yeah, in Vogue yeah. Italia. Amazing. So great. Taught yeah. by Peter uh, Lindenberg. So amazing. All the greats. Yeah, that's Super amazing. Super lucky. Yeah. Um, so my second to last question is, if you were going to say something to teenage Beth, who felt bullied, um, And you're going to tell her two universal truths that you've learned in your life up till now. What would you tell her? I mean, you're going to make me cry. I mean, probably it's like so cliche, but probably just like, don't give up. Um, And I don't know, I guess you're not defined by who people think you are. Hmm. Those are really powerful. Oh, I'm getting teary myself. <laughs> oh, I love you, Beth. <laughs> and uh, thanks for asking me. Yeah, of course. There's no shortage of tears this year. I will say that oh, much. I Happy know. and sad, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think 
it's weird because I just, you know, I think people that really know me know how vulnerable I am as a person. Um, and the people that don't think obviously that I, you know, I'm probably a lot more hardened than I am, but certainly, you know, this year has allowed me to just feel vulnerable when I needed to, um, because it's been, again, it's just been a hugely challenging time for a lot of people. And you just, you know, sometimes the way, the only way you can get through things is like really going through them. Um, mm. So I've just allowed myself to just, you know, feel it and go through it. Um, even if it seems embarrassing as like a 40 year old woman to be crying on a podcast, it's just like, I don't actually care. Yeah, um, no. If that's what I need to do today, then that's just what I'm going to do. Yes, this is a very safe space for that to happen too. <laughs> yeah, always a safe space. Of course. <laughs> my final question, and it's a question that I ask all of my guests, is with what you do, what do you want to leave behind in the world? Um, certainly I would like to, you know, have an impact. Uh, it would be nice to, you know, be remembered for advocating for women and girls for sure. And for people, um, you know, for, for human rights, uh, again, you know, I just feel really strongly about, you know, women's rights and, being, you know, having a tremendous amount of privilege living in Canada, having access to, you know, healthcare, access to so much, you know, I've been vaccinated, I've got my first dose of vaccine, which is incredible. So many people can't say that. Um, so I just, you know, feel it's really important to, to try and with that privilege, really try and, you know, help others where you can um and yeah I think you know from a fashion perspective you know it'd be really nice to be remembered you know for sort of changing changing you know our tagline is changing the way women feel about swimwear I would love to you know hopefully have done that somehow that you know as Canadians as women as, as people just saw something that they didn't expect before um, and that the brand has, you know, is or was synonymous with really good quality and, you know, Canadian design. Mm. Thank you so much for your time, Beth. And thank you, you for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, I wanted to have you on since the very start and you are a wonderful spirit and the world is really lucky to have you in it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for making me cry on a <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> it's what your body needed. That's true. Mm -hmm. Sponging my makeup before my next Zoom call. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, you have 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And I really appreciate taking the time and like wanting to speak to me. Of course. Of course. I want more and more people to know who you are. Amazing. I'll talk to you really soon, Beth. Thanks, guys. Big Thanks, hugs. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes of The Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.